Earl Gay. All right, let's, let's get to the uh, task at hand. The Son of God. Tonight we're going to have good Christmas theology and spend our time together thinking about Christ and especially the person of Christ. And so what I want to do, I uh, didn't put um, the Bible uh, verses on your handout. Do you see that? Is that uh, does that mess up anyone? I made a decision to do that. What I mean is I didn't put the Bible itself in your handout. Normally I do that. Mike, do you do that? Okay, well, I provide more for you than Mike does, <laughs> typically. But tonight we're going to put it up on the screen. And uh, if you brought a Bible, uh, it's, it's going to be a good practice to flip through the pages. Because what I want to do is just show some things that are basic Christianity, these are basic beliefs we have about Jesus. We just don't ever think about it very much. And so it's good for us on a Wednesday night before uh, Christmas holidays, think about the person of Christ. So tonight we're going to uh, go through several passages in the Bible and we'll flip through them. And if you can, uh, in your own Bible, turn there and mark it. Because those will be good passages for you as you sort of think through what does it mean to be a Christian and who really is Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pray together and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, we come to you on the merits of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are triune God and we thank you for the grace you've given us in Christ, for your constant provision for hard and favorable providences, for all of those things that have happened in our lives that have brought us up to this point. We thank you for that. We pray that tonight, uh, by your word and thinking through who Jesus is, that we might be drawn closer, that we might be more thankful, that we might uh, walk away with a more profound view of the one we love. And we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's spend the next uh, 45 minutes or, or so talking about the Son of God. You'll see it right there in your handout. It's important for you to have this. Look at the summary statement. Let me read it to you, and I'll read it slowly, and it's worth thinking about. Here's the summary of tonight's study. The Son of God is the second person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Son of God is the second person of the Trinity. Equal with the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, we got that. Now, the incarnation is Christmas. In the incarnation, He took on human nature and became the God-man. One person, two natures. Okay. What does this doctrine of Firm and why is this important? Why would we spend a whole Wednesday night talking about this doctrine? Because if you don't get this doctrine right, the personhood of Jesus, if you don't have this one right, then all of those other things that we actually claim to believe about Jesus really don't matter. You have to have this one. He has to be the fully God, fully man, God-man, in order for Christianity to actually work. So let's spend the time thinking about that. I'm going to give you four 
I think I have four points with several subpoints. Uh, you're going to feel so good after tonight. Uh, you'll notice the the look at the um, look at the points, the titles. I was going over this at home today. I went home and uh, picked up Connie and brought her. Came in together uh, before church, and I said, "Here's my here's my sermon for tonight. It's going to be so exciting, babe. Listen to the points: the eternal generation." Of the Son, it should be just generation, the eternal generation of the Son, the full deity of the Son, the full humanity of the Son, and as a clincher near the end, the hypostatic union. At that point, revival is going to break out in this room. <laughs> we talk about the hypostatic union. What is the eternal generation of the Son? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. If you have a Bible, Go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to spend most of our time in the New Testament. You'll see it in uh, some of, a whole lot in John. Uh, we'll spend a lot in what uh, Paul has written. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, you have the begottenness of Jesus. That he's fully God, but genuinely begotten and eternally begotten. Let me read it to you, verse uh, 26 of chapter 5. I'll back up a little bit and read verse 25 and go to verse 25 and 26. Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. So if the dead are going to hear, we know that it is God speaking. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Although equal, eternally begotten, the Father has granted it to the Son. The eternal generation of the Son of God. That although Jesus the Son is equal with God the Father, He is also begotten. Okay, let that roll around. You're like, what does that even mean? Let's talk about it for a moment. We'll use the outline. Let's talk first of all about the pre-existence of Jesus. The pre-existence of Jesus. You are probably familiar with John chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. There in John 1. Uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Christina, do I have that? Yeah. John, uh, John 1, 1, 2, and 3. If you have it in your Bible, I would turn there. It is one of the foremost passages that tells us about not just Jesus coming, dying on the cross, but the before the incarnation, the pre-existence of Jesus. Let me read a couple of those verses. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. In the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. Let us make. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if you stop there, right, just that one verse gives you this picture of Jesus as the preexistent. You know, we're running, on, running up to Christmas, and now sometimes if you're not careful, you think about Christianity starting with the birth of Jesus, but Christianity reaches back to creation. Right? You reach all the way back to creation. So here's the picture of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
So what you have there is not only a declaration of the deity of Jesus, we're going to get to that, it is a declaration of the pre-existence of Christ. One of the things for you to think about if you are a new Christian or maybe you've been a Christian a long time, just not thought much about Jesus, one of the things we believe is that it's not just that Jesus came and was born at Christmas. We do celebrate that. We believe that he is eternally pre-existent. The Bible teaches that the, our triune God has always been. Okay, uh, there's another, there's another uh, passage I'd like for you to see. I don't think that Christina, do you have the John 17, verses 1 through 5? But she probably didn't have it. Do you have it? Oh. Christina, I'll tell you, man. She's on top of it. I thought I was keeping that to myself. Did I send that to you? I meant to keep that to myself. John 17, uh, listen to the high priestly prayer. One of the great places you can go to develop your own understanding of Jesus is the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's when Jesus is praying for us. 16, 17, praise for his believers. But let me read it to you. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. That would be a really good passage to go back and look at. How does eternal life work between God the Son and God the Father? But we're not, we're not looking at that tonight. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now look, look at verse 5. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Do you, do you see how, if you can take your concept, and it's going to, uh, who Jesus is is going to go beyond our own concept. Your concept of Jesus, not just being born in a manger, but reaching all the way back, even before the world existed, here is Jesus claiming that in a prayer to God the Father. So you have the pre-existence of Jesus. But let's, um, let's go even further down uh, into creation through Jesus. You'll see that in, in B. Go into the New Testament a little further, into some of the small books in Colossians. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Anybody have a way to memorize that? General Electric Power Company, yeah. I went to a Presbyterian church for a while, and uh, the way the guy taught it to me was, girls eat popcorn. <laughs> I don't know why I taught us that, yeah. But that's how I remembered it since I was about 11. Take no offense if you're a female. I don't know why he said it like that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 20 is a high Christological passage. It gives us this view of not just Jesus uh, as the baby in the manger. We do believe that, of course, as the incarnation. We'll get to that. 
but also this pre-existent Christ, how everything holds together in Christ. Let me read it to you. I'll start at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created. Now look where all things are created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Now, you understand that phrase, all things, right? So whatever you can conceive that has been created, including spiritual beings, they were created. Remember, Satan wasn't always Satan. He was an angel before. And ultimately, all of them are created to glorify God. Everything. This is where all creation is headed. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a beautiful, I'll stop there, what a beautiful passage um, to deepen your understanding of who Jesus is and why he is worthy of your life. Why Christmas is not just a baby in a manger. It is, and we celebrate the incarnation. It, it, Christmas reaches back to the very beginning, before the very beginning of all creation. Creation through the sun. Let me give you another phrase. Uh, I have it on your worksheet. It's the emptying. Do you see that phrase? The emptying of the sun. Uh, the Greek word for emptying is kenosis. If you want to feel smart, you can just write down the word kenosis. K-E-N-O-S-I-S, -S, I think. Uh, for, for some reason, that has been some sort of debate since the very inception of Christianity. The kenosis. You, you know the passage, it's in Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5, 6, and 7, as Paul is pointing to the example of Jesus, he tells us something about how, the, how Christmas works. This is how Christmas works. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here comes the emptying. Who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I'll stop right there because we're getting ready to go into the every knee will bow and tongue confess and some of you might go Pentecostal, so I'll slow down right there. Because I want you to see the emptying. That part of, of, of understanding Jesus is looking back beyond where history is and there he is. He is eternally existent, right? The pre-existent, the idea of Jesus being there at creation and creation not only being through Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, but for Him. Okay, that's the eternal generation. 
that, or the, the eternal begottenness of Christ. So let me put that on the shelf for a moment, and let's go to the second, uh, the second theological kind of peg that we'll put in tonight. And you will all probably already affirm the full deity of the Son, the full deity that He genuinely is God. But I want to give you some proof of that. So you don't have to just say, okay, yeah, I believe Jesus is God. Let me give you some reasons as to why you should believe that. One of them is His divine title. You already know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So He is the Son. One of His titles throughout the New Testament is the Son of God. It's quite a title. You already know that title. That speaks to His divine title as the Son, second person of the Trinity. But there's another um, Another passage I would like to call your attention to, it's in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you'll find Peter giving his sermon. Acts 2 is a great chapter. Um, you know, the book of Acts was the very first book that I spent two years preaching through. So, Anybody here for that when I preached through Acts? Yeah, two years. I preached. So when I got here, I did a year of the Bible. We flew over, and then I preached through the Gospel of John for a year. And then I thought, okay, let's take a year and then a smaller book, and we'll stretch it out. I did Ephesians for a year, and then we went to the book of Acts for two years, and now uh, we've gone through Genesis for two years. So I spent this afternoon working on the book of Romans. And I, I'm hoping I've not made a mistake. I mean, it is deep water to jump into Romans. I mean, my, like Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he spent like, you know, seven years. Um, Donald Gray Barnhouse, 11 years to get through Romans. I'm not going to do that. I've set aside 40 passages right now to get us halfway through. So we'll start in February. In 2019, we'll get halfway through, and I think we'll cover the whole thing in two years. So about 80 sermons worth of Romans. And just reading it uh, has reminded me of the depth and beauty of who Christ is and how salvation works and how, how I was in sin and how the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see the salvation in Jesus. Just studying it made me want to be more thankful for my own salvation. I want you to hear Peter as he preaches in chapter 2 of Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 36, and notice what he says about Jesus. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, okay, he's in the middle of a sermon, that God has made him, Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Curios, Lord, head, Christ, anointed one, Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. So, Son of God, Lord, Messiah. Okay, let's, uh, let's keep pressing on uh, the deity. We've talked about his divine title. Look at some of the divine references I'd like to give you. Divine references. Uh, Hebrews is a great book. The book of Hebrews is, um, is one that gives us a high view of Jesus. 
as if the rest of the New Testament didn't, but Hebrews is saying Christ is greater than all, and then lists all of the great things out there, and Christ is greater than all. And listen to um, Hebrews chapter 1, a little bit I'll go back to 1 verse 3, but now I want you to look at verse, verse 8. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. And you know what, let me give you some context. You just keep verse 8 there. I'll start in verse 6 as he's talking about Jesus. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, the divine nature. Your, your, I'm sorry, divine references. Your throne, O God. He's speaking of the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. There's another one um, that I, that's more clear. And that's over uh, your, your, your worksheet says 1 Peter, but over in 2 Peter is where I'd like for you to go. 2 Peter chapter 1. I, um, that's actually my mistake, by the way. I wrote down 1 Peter, and uh, actually I think I may have written 2 Peter, but I couldn't tell. Sometimes I can't even read my own handwriting. If you ever get a card from me, uh, you can't, you just can't, you know. I know. Uh, normally uh, I slow down if I'm writing Connie a card, she typically can read it. Because I need her to be able to read what I write to her. I got in bad trouble today uh, with Connie, but I'm not going to tell you about it. <laughs> Y'all want to hear about it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, my son, Mac, had to come to work and drive Connie's car because the Jeep that he's driving, it's got an electrical problem. It, couldn't, it wasn't working. He brought her car, <clears throat> but she had to do some, run some errands. So I said, why don't you just ride, ride in with me, and you can drive the car home, and you got a bunch of stuff you got to do. And so... Uh, coming from where I live out in Mint Hill, you come onto Harris Boulevard, and right there at the fire station, you, know, you can do a U-turn and go and come into the lower part of the parking lot. So uh, I went to do the U-turn, and you know I had Connie with me, and sometimes as she's with me, I'll goose the car a little bit, you know. Well, the road's cold, and my traction control hadn't been working well. The road's fault and the traction control's fault, right? And so I got into my car pretty good and popped the clutch and it didn't do a little fishtail like I normally do. It went into a, what is known as a donut. So I went into a donut and normally if you do a donut, you come out of it and uh, you're pointed in the right direction, but it was going so fast that I missed the first exit point. So we had to do it again. So right there at the, fire, at the fire station, I'm in the middle of Harris Boulevard. I did two donuts with Connie in the car. And uh, by that time, I was disoriented. I didn't know what way was the right way. And so I stopped. And uh, fortunately, we were pretty close, and I pulled right in. And, you know, my wife's never raised her voice at me ever one time. And she just sat there quietly. And uh, I said, look, babe, I'm, I'm sorry about that. And uh, she said... Just take me to the car. <laughs> so, but thankfully, our marriage has survived it. Uh, and here we are. She's working on one tonight.
So if you go by the fire station and see some in the road, that's uh, an accident. What can I tell you? As my what Connie said, that people are saying, hey, look at the preacher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, brother. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. I want you to listen to what Peter says here. Identifying himself, I'm Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Look, look how um, he refers to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the two titles right there. Here's the Apostle Peter, who was a friend of Jesus, walked with him, knew him like, you, like we know each other now. And yet, as he's writing about Jesus, what is, he, what is he saying? He's saying that he is God. So it's important for us to see very early on, before the New Testament canon uh, was, was even closed. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, 15, 20 years already. It's not just he was some great man. He, Peter understands that he's God. Now come with a little further, and let's talk about his divine nature. This is where we're going to get to the hypostatic union tonight. I don't know that I've even ever been able to say the hypostatic union in church, but I'm saying it tonight. <clears throat> Let's go and look at his divine nature, his divine nature. Hebrews chapter 1. So if somebody tells you your preacher was, was misbehaving or not driving, that's what happened. It was a pure accident. It was the road, and my traction control was not working well. I got, that's what she said. I've got to get it fixed, right? Verse 3, listen to the beautiful... Listen to the beautiful description of the nature of Jesus. He is the radiance, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Normally, I'm calling your attention to the back end of that verse about the sacrifice of Jesus and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It is a, an important doctrine. But this time, I want you to, to ease up to the very front end of that verse that says He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So we're talking not about His human nature, His divine nature, that He's God. Okay, flip back further. Uh, John chapter 10. Two more verses in John to speak to his divine nature. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus very simply says, I and the Father are one. This is a radical statement to a monotheist. Jews are monotheistic, believe in one God. God is one. comes from the Old Testament. Here is Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. Keep, keep looking at John. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Philip says to uh, Jesus in verse 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me 
has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So we have his divine nature. Okay, talking about the divine nature of Jesus. And um, keep, let's keep pressing on that issue. Because we'll get to the humanity. We've talked about divine references, um, his divine nature. Uh, I'll just, do you see the divine attributes down there on your worksheet? I won't go through all of them. I just want to call your attention to, you understand the attribute omnipresence, uh, omniscience. Omnipresence, he's everywhere. Remember Matthew 28, Great Commission? And I am with you always, the withness of Jesus. Uh, omniscience. All right, let's, let's do look at that one. Let's look at omniscience. In John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 25. So let me back up and get the context. Uh, 2, verse 23, I'll start there. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs. Now, this is early. When they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, in his own part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Omniscience. That means he knows everything. How about authority? Matthew 28 is a good place. Uh, we read this morning in our staff devotion we have Wednesday, night, uh, Wednesday mornings, we, we pray together as a staff. And uh, Jacob Prince did the devotion, and he didn't use Ma Matthew 28. He, he used Re Revelation chapter 1. That's a great place to go to. But let me just read uh, Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. Here is the Ascended Lord. Um, and what he says to those he's leaving behind, this is partly why, if not fully why, we feel the need to, to witness to people. This is why we send missionaries. It's the Great Commission. This is why we believe it is incumbent on us as Christians to share Christ with other people, because, partly because Jesus told us to. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission from Jesus. And as I read it, pay, pay attention to verse 18. Let me read it. I'll read the whole thing. I'll come back to verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So based on that, the authority of Jesus, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, you can take that Great Commission, and there's a lot you can pull out there uh, that if you wanted to sort of build some of your beliefs about evangelism and about Jesus. But the thing I want you to see uh, is back up in verse 18 is the authority of Jesus. Jesus said to them, all authority. Now, look where that authority extends. In heaven, so all the authority in heaven, and authority on earth. And notice that it is all authority. If you were to look over at Revelation chapter 1, that's a good place to go. I don't, we won't do that, but it's a beautiful passage. And there is John is on the island of Patmos. He's 90 years old. All of his friends are dead. They've died martyrs' deaths. 
He's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And that, that worship experience, he has a vision of Jesus, the exalted Jesus. Go read it tonight if you'd like, Revelation 1. He sees the exalted Jesus and, and immediately collapses like a dead man, like the prophets do in the Old Testament when they see Jesus. And Jesus comes and touches him with his right hand, the hand of authority, and says, don't be afraid. Because I have the keys to death and hell. All authority. One of the great reminders for us as we think about living for Christ, it's not that we're trying to be better people. It's not even that I'm trying to get my life together. It's that we trust in the authority of Jesus who lived perfectly, died on the cross for sinners. God raised him from the dead, and as he did, his authority is everywhere. This is the one we worship. So his divine, his divine nature. His divine attributes, his divine nature. So that's the divinity of Jesus. So I've built that case. Let's put it aside for a moment. And now let's think about the full humanity. This is important because heresies develop when we don't have a clear biblical view of who Jesus is. If you don't get the full divinity of Jesus, then, then you find yourself falling into Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness. If you don't, if you don't biblically understand this, then it's easy to fall off. And for those that are Jehovah's Witness, the, the, the greatest recruiting ground are backslidden Baptists. That's the truth. Backslidden Baptists who didn't ever really get saved or don't, never really were discipled and know that the Bible is good and, and God loves me and, and Jesus, I should be like Jesus. What a Jehovah's Witness can say to you sounds a lot like what you hear in Sunday school except for the divinity and the necessary humanity of the Son. So let's talk about the humanity of Jesus. Here comes Christmas. Here's Christmas right here. This last, this number three is Christmas. The full humanity of the Son. What about the full humanity of the Son? I'll go quickly. Notice that in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that's the, isn't that the... Um, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that's the Christmas story. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 2. So Jesus is born just like any other child. Let me read it to you. In those, day, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, so he reg to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. They weren't even married. They were just engaged. But she was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. It, this is nothing more than prose. This is just giving us a narration of a young woman that was pregnant. And she's going to have a baby just like millions of other people. 
just like a lot of you here have had. This is just a description of that. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there's no place for him in the end. The full humanity of Jesus is that he was born into this world just like any other child. Important to get that. Not only that, you can flip over in chapter 2 to verse 40. He, he was born in this world like any other child, and then he matured. He had to grow up. It, he, he had to go through this process for us. It's important not to run to the cross immediately without thinking about the, the humanity of Jesus. He had to do this for us. Verse 40. And the child, that's Jesus, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. So let, let's think about that. He had normal physical needs. Wanted something to eat. When it was meal time, he ate. He was thirsty. He would drink. On the cross, he's in actual agony. At the end of the day, when the sun goes down, he needed rest, he would fall asleep. Had normal physical needs. So he was born like any child. He, he had grew up like every other child that grew up. He had regular, normal, physical needs like all of us here have. In fact, I would press on that further. I've given it to you. Uh, he had common human emotions. Go read the, go read the, uh, the stories, the Gospels, and watch his emotions. Experience love for people. Rich young ruler looked at him and loved him. Experience joy, sorrow. Remember him standing at the grave of Lazarus, knowing he's going to call him forward, but, but everybody's weeping, so he's there with them. Looking over Jerusalem, there is he weeping. Anger. Money, money changers, clear, clear the temple. So those are all normal kind of human emotions that Jesus had. I press that further in the full humanity of Jesus. And remember that he suffered and died like people suffer and die. In fact, I'll just call your attention there near the end in, uh, in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. <clears throat> I have written down here verse 34. Let, let me back up to verse 31 and just listen to, as I described for you, the natural, although murderous, but this is what would happen to any of us had we been crucified. Physically, this is what would happen. Verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies, remember the two thieves, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, 
the Jews asked Pilate and their uh, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came, broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. At once there came out blood and water. And John says, he who saw it is born witness. His testimony is true. John saying, I'm telling the truth. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you might believe. The full humanity suffered and dying like others. So now let's put all of this together. We've talked about the full divinity of Jesus. All right, fully God. We've talked about the full humanity of Jesus. Fully man. And let's end... Uh, with the finale of the hypostatic union. This is what Christmas is about. You, you, people ask you, how do you all celebrate Christmas at your church? We do it with a hypostatic union. <laughs> because that's what it is. Let me, let me explain. I've got it. Hopefully did I. No, I didn't. I didn't write it down for you. I got this to, all to myself right here. Let me read it to you. The incarnation, birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the Son of God is this. A human nature, a human nature was inseparably united forever with a divine nature in the one person that is Jesus Christ. The hypostatic union is this, is the incarnation. In the incarnation of the Son of God, a human nature was inseparably united forever with a divine nature in the one person of Jesus Christ. What we're saying there is that He's truly God and truly man. I put on the back of your sheet um, the Chalcedonian creed. You see that? Chalcedonian creed. If you're from a Catholic background or Presbyterian or more liturgical Methodist or maybe Episcopal, you're familiar with creeds. You probably came up uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed. I, I came up um, reciting. In fact, that's the most gospel that I learned was the Apostles' Creed. I'm thankful for that because I could say it and I knew so much about God. So, so, so you should that's a great thing to get to know, the Apostles' Creed. Um, Twelve points of it, is a, it's just a great, succinct statement of Christianity. The Nicene Creed came next. The Nicene Creed uh, was there. Christianity was legalized uh, by Constantine. Not only legalized, it became the, the religion of Rome. That's where you get the Roman universal or Catholic church. It comes out of the legalizing and then the conversion of Constantine. And um, when you started doing that, uh, they started disputing doctrines and really the understanding of who Christ is and how salvation works. So to call a council, all of the bishops come together, Nicene Creed. It's a great creed. You should go and if you don't know it, it's a good one to, to summarize Christianity. 
But as it often happens, you can only keep a lid on heresy for a little while. And a couple of, almost 150 years later, up in the middle of the 5th century, um, in Chalcedon, very close to Constantine, the bishops came together again, around 500 of them, and developed the Chalcedonian Creed. Now, this is important because it's a, it is a response to something. This is not just the bishop saying, hey, we need a new creed. This is, there is heresy, up, there is heresy running in the church. People think that Jesus is not fully God, or they, the other heresy, that he's not fully man, he was just a spirit. And this creed is a great Christian creed that was designed to give a biblical picture of Jesus. Let me read it to you. I'll read it, then I'll talk about why it matters. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach people to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also in manhood. Truly God, truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial, I like that word, consubstantial or coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial or coessential with us according to manhood, in all things likened to us, but without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these later days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, which is the mother of God, is the Greek word. Uh, don't, don't get carried away there. Just that Mary gave birth to Jesus according to the manhood, and one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures. That's important for Christianity. Inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union. So when, they, when the two natures came together, there's no, none of the distinctions were taken away but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and in one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers, that's the Apostles' Creed, handed down to us. We're Baptists, we don't hold on to creeds very much, but we can't learn from them. So why is all of this important? I'll close with a couple of thoughts. This understanding of Jesus as being truly God and truly man is important because this is, this is at the core of our understanding of salvation. Here's why. He is the unique, there's only one, God-man. He is the unique mediator between God and God's fallen image bearers, which are humans. There's only one mediator. You see, only Jesus, as the fully divine Son, 
could pay the infinite penalty for sin. Have to be fully divine to do that. To pay the infinite penalty for all of the sinners that will ever be saved. On the other hand, only the fully human incarnation, only the fully human incarnate Son could be the perfect substitute for sinful human beings. For salvation to work, he had to be fully God and fully man. And what we celebrate at Christmas is this right here. That our Savior is fully God, fully man, and he is able to redeem those that come to him. I hope that you will, uh, when you think about Jesus, it's not just I want to be more like Jesus. I hope you'll see the glory of who he is and the grace he's given us at the cross. Let me pray, and as we close with prayer, uh, I'm going to ask our moderator. We're going to have a not even really a quick business meeting, but we do need to go in session. And all we're doing tonight is we're going to vote on... Uh, the budget that has been before you. So let me pray, and uh, I'll ask Mars and Barry to come on up here. It won't take but about 90 seconds. Is that right, Marson? 80 seconds. All right, let me, let me pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness you've given us in Christ. Thank you that we can pause on a Wednesday night and think about the glory of Jesus. Fully God, fully man that we might worship you, Father, through your Son, Jesus. And for that, we give you thanks. In his name we pray. Amen.